Here's a sneak peek of what we have today. Um, I thought it was extremely helpful to get out there for a year or two as a general uh, dentist. When you're talking about this kind of tech that's so new, what do you do to get started? Reach out to outside your bubble. There's a lot to learn. Is there any limitations you see with uh, technology? There's a lot to know about in dentistry. We should be having discussions about business, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So let's start right here, right now. This is the business of drilling. All right, so welcome back to the business of drilling. We're really excited to bring you this episode today. I'm joined by my co-host, Christian. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Bobby Nadeau. It's our first specialist. So I'm here, I'm excited to hear his insights and uh, have a good conversation with him. So Dr. Nadeau is in full-time private practice in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. He graduated with a DDS degree from Dalhousie University and earned a Master of Science in Endodontics from the University of Toronto. He's developed particular interests in dynamic navigation for endo, ergonomics and microscope dentistry, restorative driven endodontics, clinical decision-making, and dentin conservation. So with that, we'd like to introduce our first specialist on the podcast, Dr. Bobby Nadeau. Bobby, how are you? Hey guys, good, how are you? Good, good. So why don't we just kind of get right into it? Do you mind telling us a bit about yourself and your journey? Yes, so um, I graduated uh, from Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia in 2015. And then um, I actually, uh, while being a student, a dental student, I was also a varsity athlete for the, for, the, for the university. And then after graduation, I worked as a general dentist in Newfoundland for one year. And then I was back at school to uh, at University of Toronto uh, in the endodontic program uh, from which I graduated in 2019. So I've been in private practice limited to endo for uh, almost two years now. Nice. So you're pretty fresh, a fresh grad from specialty. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell us, I mean, why why did you decide to go into endo after a year of practice? Yeah, so I, I knew probably around year two of dental school that endo was definitely going to be on my radar at least. Um, uh, I always really liked um, the idea of specializing just because I always liked the idea of being really good at one thing and being able to be a, a resource for uh, colleagues. Um, and so I always liked the idea of, of specializing. Endo was mostly because um, I'm always, I've always been interested in technology as well. And, you know, with the microscope and all kinds of gadgets um, in Endo, it was always something on my mind. Um, and then finally, just helping patients in terms of pain, uh, pain control and pain management, you kind of see an immediate gratification when you take care of uh, a patient's pain, right? And so, uh, and also it seems like endo in dental school is always something that a lot of students were kind of scared of. I didn't like it. Always, you know, talking about, oh, I'm going to go into ortho and, uh, or I'm going to be a neural surgeon. And so for me, I, I always wanted to be, you know, can I overcome this, this idea of, of, of endo being scary and then become proficient and good at it and then help uh, other colleagues uh, enjoying it, right? So uh, all these factors uh, kind of led me uh, into endo. And I knew by year three or four of dental school that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a general practice, uh, in general practice for one year at least, because I wanted to see the other side. What is it to refer to a specialist? What is what are they looking for? What is it to, to kind of see it from the other side? And uh, and then and then went into endo uh, from from that way. But uh, yeah, I would say that's about it. That's uh, the, the reasons why um, I chose endo. 
Did you did you feel like you did endo during your first year enough as a GP, or is that something that's not as common? Yes. Yeah, so uh, that depends on uh, you, where you're going to practice. Um, uh, as I said, I, I practiced one year in Newfoundland, and over there, there's only a very limited number of endodontists, and and so uh, general dentists will end up doing a lot of the things that perhaps you wouldn't do if you were downtown Toronto, for example. And so I had the opportunity of doing all kinds of dentistry over there, including a lot of endo. And so uh, I'd say it depends on your geographic and your patient population and your comfort level as well. Uh, but I was fortunate that you know I was able to to to, to get you know uh, my hands wet a little bit with endo uh, as part of my dental program which was quite good and also in in general practice before entering uh, my residency in endo how do you feel about endo because we, we we just had our first completed root canal in, in the sim clinic and it was it was kind of fun uh, but I feel like there's always a lot of mixed mixed opinions on endodontics um, what do you think Chris well Endo is still pretty new to us. Like we obviously know the theory behind it. We know um, the basics on how to do an endo, but we don't really know what it's like to be an endo, uh, endodontist. So I think with time, you'll see um, the pros. Um, we'll see what, what people find scary about endo, like Dr. Nadeau was saying. And, um, and it's kind of actually, Dr. Nadeau, I actually kind of wanted to ask you this. Did you learn something in that one year as a GP? that maybe someone who went straight into endo uh like an endo program wouldn't have learned that like you found was a great benefit you enjoyed about the one year as a gp yes absolutely more than one thing um like i said first of all the, the referring process right the communication with the endodontist that way but also patient management you know you, you see patient in a certain environment in dental school where you may not you know it's definitely not the same environment in private practice right you know, time is of the essence, you know, expectations from the patients might be a bit different. And so patient management uh, and other things uh, such as, uh, you know, pain control in terms of local anesthesia, uh, um, trying to figure out, you know, post-operative pain control, things things like that, that uh, you kind of, mostly patient management, we kind of only kind of know uh, or learn what to do uh, in a certain different way, more specific to private practice, only when you are in private practice, right? There's a comfort zone when you're uh, under the roof of a, of a of a dental program or at university uh, that you know you have to you know you have to overcome a bit when you get out, right? Because now you're on your own type of thing, right? So um, I thought it was extremely helpful. And I think it would be for anyone contemplating a specialty in any program, in any field, to get out there for a year or two as a general uh, dentist before going in. I think it has huge, or, or perhaps doing a GPR program or something like that, it has huge uh, benefits. Do, do you find that patient management is different um, when you're a GP compared to an endo? Um, do patients like look towards you in a different way? Is, is it... Um, I'm sure with endo, people come to you in pain and, and maybe it might be more urgent or the patients might be, um, the patient interaction might be different. Can you like speak on that a little bit? Yes, for sure. There's definitely a, a, a difference there. Obviously in general practice, you, you'll see your patients over and over again. So there's already a relationship there kind of, you know, they know something about you, you know, something about them as a specialist, obviously it's more like a one-stop shop, at least in endo. 
uh, where they come in, maybe a, you know, a visit for the consultation and a visit or two for the root canal treatment, and then they're gone, right? Unless they need another uh, treatment down the road. And so uh, there's that difference there. You know, sometimes I miss a bit of a, you know, the relationship you build with patients. You don't have that in, as a specialist. But, uh, you know, in terms of pain, it depends on your geographic area. Uh, in areas where there's less endodontists and general dentists have learned to manage the pain a bit more until they see the, the specialist. And so a lot of the times, at least in my area right now, uh, we're very busy. So it, it becomes a bit difficult to get everyone right away in that needs to be seen as an emergency. So a lot of times the patients are not actually in pain because they've been managed with antibiotics, things like that. But they come in and they already know a bit of what to expect based on what the general dentist uh, told them. And so, you know, there's already a foot out the door in there uh, in terms of, of what they're expecting. So uh, we don't get to, to spend a whole lot of time uh, as much as we would like to because of the nature of our work, like I explained. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, they kind of know a bit more what to expect so we can kind of jump into you know, the more specifics of the procedure themselves. So, you know, a bit of uh, pros and cons on each side in terms of the specialty uh, uh, setting compared to general practice setting. I think both have their their uh, benefits and drawbacks a bit. So Dr. Ndo, you've, uh, you've brought up dynamic navigation in our conversations in the past. Um, can you explain what dynamic, dynamic navigation is for endodontics and specifically what is dynamic navigation? Absolutely. So this is really new, uh, cool technology. So dynamic navigation, like like the name implies, it helps a clinician to navigate a procedure. We call it dynamic because there is a, a constant interaction between the clinician and the system. It's like a GPS in a car. The clinician can plan a procedure just like the driver of the car can plan a trip. Uh, the clinician then looks at the computer screen to receive visual feedbacks in order to navigate the procedure, just like the driver of the car looks at a GPS screen to receive the feedback and information required to reach a destination. So dynamic navigation actually has been around since the, since the 90s, uh, more or less, um, uh, in, in different fields of, of medicines, uh, actually perhaps more like early 2000s. Uh, but it's, it's only in the last decade that it has entered the field of dentistry. And in, in dental, dynamic navigation was invented to help increasing the accuracy of dental implant, uh, you know, osteotomies or, or, or implant placement. And so the way it works is that we take a preoperative CT scan of the dentition in the area that we want to work on, and we import it, import it into the dynamic navigation software. And then uh, the software, uh, in the software, the clinician can plan, you know, the depth the entry and the angulation of the future implant to be placed. And this allows for increasing the accuracy and precision while staying away from, you know, important structures such as the sinus or adjacent teeth or the inferior alveolar nerve or mental nerve and things like that. And so uh, uh, quickly the way it works is we have two uh, uh, cameras that are positioned over the patient. And uh, these cameras, uh, they detect and they track the specific black and white markers that are placed on the handpiece and on the patient. And so the cameras are connected uh, to the, the, the laptop that comes with the system and the laptop is just positioned chair side. And so uh, uh, what happens is that uh, uh, the clinician can see the position of your burr superimposed onto the CT scan of the patient. So as, the, as you move the burr, the burr moves on the screen and that gives you the feedback needed to stay 
in line. Now, uh, but over the last few years, dynamic navigation has now gained a lot of interest in endo. And so, as we know, endo has a high demand for accuracy and precision, especially when we're trying to find tiny calcified canals. And so the main application for endo now is to, is to find those, those calcified canals during non, non-surgical endo access cavity preparations. But there are also other applications that uh, we're starting to emerge is apical surgery, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, you can actually use different kinds of tips. You can don't have to use just a drill. You can use a a piezoelectric saw tip or an ultrasonic tip. So the future is extremely bright and interesting in endo with dynamic navigation. Is it, would you say it's still in the research and development phase or is it being used in everyday practice? And if it is being used in everyday practice, you said it's only used for some specific, some specific procedures? Yeah, very good question. So uh, it's been out there, at least Health Canada and FDA approved for implants for many years. Uh, many clinicians, mostly general dentists, uh, surgeons, and uh, periodontists have it to uh, place implants. It was just cleared by Health Canada for endo application in the last year. And at least the system that I use, which is called Navidant, uh, which is manufactured by a company called Clarinav out of Toronto. There's different systems out there, uh, but this one is one of the most uh, popular in North America, at least, and in in around the world. Um, they're working now for FDA approval for endo-specific. Uh, so in implant dentistry, it's much more popular and much more known in endo. Uh, only a few clinicians... Uh, in North America and perhaps around the world are starting to use it just because it's so new and and we're still learning endo protocols and the limitations of it and the potential benefits of it. But uh, I suspect it'll gain more and more interest over the next few years. That's kind of mind blowing that you're just on the forefront of exploring a new tech and applying it in your specialty. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was very fortunate that, you know, my residency program was at U of Toronto and that uh, the company was, you know, in my backyard right there in Toronto and, you know, a few stars aligned and I was I was able to get involved a bit. So can we expand on that just slightly in terms of residency, right? Like, So University of Toronto is a pretty, pretty well-known school, right? So I'm assuming the residency programs are, are pretty well designed and you get exposure to these types of technologies. Just from word of mouth, uh, is there specific programs that, you know, maybe don't pull their weight in terms of, you know, getting you accustomed to these kind of technology? Because I, I can't imagine that every program is adopting, like, what's at the forefront of innovation right now. Yeah, for sure. Now, first of all, at least in Canada, uh, there's not there are not many uh, endo programs out there. You know, there's U of T, there's uh, 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 British Columbia there's a new program that started only three years ago in Quebec City in, in, in French. And so there, there's not a whole lot of, of programs. There are much more in the United States. But in terms of dynamic navigation, actually, it was so new that I, I didn't even get my exposure to it through the program. <laughs> it was me that kind of, you know, what, what happened is, is, is as part of my program, um, you know, you get different instructors that come in and, and one of them, which I, I have to mention, my good friend and mentor, uh, Dr. Viraj Bora, he's an endodontist in Bonn, Ontario, uh, in Canada. At the time, he was my instructor when I was a, a student, but Viraj, you know, had relayed, had relayed to me important 
uh, approaches and philosophies about you know clinical decision making and, and what can be done to achieve an, an outcome that we want for our patients and and some of the important factors that that we know can increase you know the chance of a good outcome for our patients for our treatment uh, it was uh, you know trying to conserve some dentin during our access cavities and during our instrumentation and so i got into looking into you know what's out there in terms of technology and so having this in mind i was eventually exposed to dynamic navigation and at the time only one other endodontist had explored this for endo and that was dr charles maupin down in texas uh, so, but uh, you know, he was using a different system. So I got through researching, and I found out that wow, Navident system out of Clarenav is right here in Toronto. Let let me call them up and see if they're interested in exploring the endo uh, world and the endo application. And I got you know, I got to use the system and at their headquarters, and eventually, to, you know, start talking to them, developing some endo protocols. And now that I have the system in my own private practice, it, you know, it's a kind of a, a continuation of that. How do you, how do you see how do you see it being um, expanded? Do you th- do you see it being expanded um, potentially in the future to every endodontist uh, office, or do you see it in GP's office, or do you think it's uh, how how fast and how big do you see this um, expanding in the future? Yeah. Uh, that's a very good question because it has a dual application, at least you know right now for implant placements and endo, and there's also more that are coming out. Uh, extraction of impacted uh, molars where you do navigation to expose the tooth and, and eventually extract it. Also things like auto transplantation of teeth where you take one out and take another tooth to put it back in that spot. There's different applications. Because of the many applications, I see this being very helpful for general practice, uh, general dentists that are interested in implants and endo. And you know you can see many applications. As for endo and more specific, you know, just like the the, the surgical microscope, just like uh, CT scans, things take a bit to become mainstream. Uh, but I do see uh, this becoming perhaps more and more uh, popular in a younger generation of endodontists, uh, a generation that perhaps are more uh, uh, are, are better at adapting to new technology. You know, as as younger. Uh, uh, as younger clinicians, perhaps we were exposed to more video games and things like that, where we have a better understanding and a better ability to to uh, adapt to new technology uh, such as this. Um, is it going to be a thing right now? It's going to take time. Uh, I would say perhaps, perhaps in five to ten years, it, it may become close to being a standard of care as the technology improves, as the workflow improves, and as it becomes easier to integrate into the everyday uh, practice, whether general, but mostly endodontic practice. Where do you where do you even start in terms of just trying to adopt this kind of thing though? Right, like I'm assuming you go to a conference, you kind of see some new piece of tech or you're online and you see this and you want to try it out. And you just said you, you reached out to them directly, but like, is there anywhere that people can go to get training? I know, for example, one of the guests we had on talked about, um, I believe it was Patterson or something, um, and they got trained on the Densply Serona, uh, you know, 3D uh, crown printing and same day dentistry kind of thing. So there's CE courses in that sense. But when you're talking about this kind of tech that's so new, what do you do to get started? Yep. So it starts with being exposed to it, whether 
you know, seeing it online and seeing it at a, a conference, then you start playing with it at a conference, for example. But then there are, uh, in terms of at least, I can only speak to, to, to what I know in terms of the system that I use, they, they, are, they have many suppliers all across the world. And so if there are interests that is shown by a specific clinician or a group of clinician, then they will arrange for bringing a system down in the practice or in the school setting for students to play with. And, uh, uh, and and then you can you can see if that's something that could be implemented into your practice, and then after that they provide training, uh, you know, a weekend of training uh, with uh, 3D printed models, extracted teeth, things like that to get used to it. And they also have a constant uh, uh, um, way to reach to them if you run into issues uh, during a case on a spot. But if you're in the Toronto area, I know for sure uh, the company Clarinav, the, the, the company that makes the Navident system, I believe they welcome uh, anyone to come in to kind of check it out uh, if you are interested in that. Again, I'm not part of the company. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't have any uh, financial interests in terms of, you know, loyalties or anything like that. I just speak for the, for the experience that I had uh, with them. And so you can go to their their headquarter and 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 play with the system uh, if you contact them uh, in advance. So there are different ways to see if that's a good fit for your practice and at least play with it a bit. So, okay, so that's that's one piece of tech, right? Are there other technologies that have been used or are in development that you, you think like are really showing promise like this that are gonna change the game? Um, yeah, well, there are some that we already know about. I just don't think that they are, um, they are used as much as they should or understood as much as they should. For example, in my field, the surgical microscope is extremely important. Obviously, it allows for better vision, illumination, but I think it could have a huge uh, impact in general dentistry as well for restorative, um, you know, documentation, ergonomics. I'm, 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 I've gained an interest in trying to provide the best ergonomics for myself, my patient, and my, my dental assistant as well. And so the surgical microscope, I really, really, obviously it became, it has become mainstream in endo, uh, but uh, in a general practice uh, setup, I really, really recommend that you, that people look into this. Um, there are not very expensive microscopes that can be used for, for restorative dentistry and that could bring huge benefits. The other thing is the, uh, the, the, the CBCT, uh, you know, the CT scan, uh, it's gaining more and more uh, popularity as we, as we understand it, it it's benefit. And, and as the technology gets better, the images, the resolution gets better, the, the radiation to the patient gets lower and lower. And so again, this I see becoming perhaps, uh, you know, eventually, uh, if it's not already uh, a standard of care for almost, you know, all any root canal uh, uh, cases, perhaps other than the large canal in the upper front tooth. But other than that, there's so many variation and so many unknown as we go into a tooth that the CBCT scan can tell you immediately, you know, or, or with fairly high confidence about what you're getting into, right? And so that's my other, uh, other piece of technology. Other than that, you know, it's going back to, to, to old, um, uh, old concepts. I think what will improve our successes in endo may not have to do with any technology, but perhaps revisiting concepts. Um, I already discussed trying to be a bit more gentle on the tooth when we drill our accesses. Obviously, 
as dental students, you know, you guys know, you learn, you learn the basics, right? Straight line access, find those canals, being able to instrument the tooth and irrigate the tooth safely and efficiently. But then often you find out that the tooth comes back usually, you know, in six to seven years. And again, I'm only out two years here. So I rely on, on other colleagues to report, report these findings, but I do see them in my patients as well. When they come into for a tooth and I see, well, what happened on this tooth beside it's cracked. Oh, well, it had an endo six, seven years ago. And then you look at the canals, large instrumentation, large access cavity. Obviously, you don't really know how the tooth came up and, you know, how the tooth presented in the first place. But we're starting to see that maybe we can achieve our biological goals without, you know, destroying the tooth in the process. So slowly trying to push the limit in terms of dent and conservation. You know, you don't need that much technology to do that, but it can have huge uh, benefit for the patient. And the other thing is, you know, we see that a lot in my field placing a cotton in the cavity temporary restoration after you do the endo focusing only on on the roots a little bit we're trying to to see how important that restorative management is for a tooth uh, it turns out that we're starting to learn more and more that teeth with endo 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 treated teeth uh, most of the time won't fail or won't get extracted because the endo failed it'll get extracted because of a periodontal issue a restorative issue or a structural issue, a cusp fracture or a vertical root fracture. And so we want to control factors that we can control more and more if, if, as endodontists. Uh, and that involves, you know, being gentle on the tooth in terms of dentin conservation and managing the tooth restoratively, placing, that involves mostly placing the final core buildup material in there instead of a temporary filling. And that's been, you know, quite a normal practice all around the world other than in North America. It seems like endodontists uh, as a community, we've gone away from looking above the, the, the alveolar bone and just looking at the roots and making sure we disinfect and we obturate where we forget really what appears to matter for longevity of the tooth. So it'll be a combination of revisiting concepts that make sense that maybe we walked away from in the last few decades as endodontists and then combining that with new technology, all of this will really uh, increase, I think, personally, enhance the patient-centered outcome. In other words, what our patient wants when we become see us as endodontic clinician. And so it's, it's quite exciting. Do you, that is really exciting. And I just want to ask, is there any limitations you see with uh, technology? Maybe anything that we need to be, be careful of? Um, like you said, sometimes the most important thing is to go back and review general principles because that's the most important. But do, do you see anything that's a limitation of these technologies um, that, that people have to think about before um, investing into them? Yeah. Um, well, there's going to be a learning curve for any of these new technologies. And you can't, and I'm talking microscope, CBCT, dynamic navigation, you can't get discouraged about this. Uh, obviously in a private practice setting, you know, there's the idea of revenue and you can't waste too much time learning something. So you got to put your time into it. Weekends, evenings, go to the office, play around with, with, with 3D printed models and then learn and get better at it and don't get discouraged. And then once, you know, you get better at it, then you, you start easier cases on patients, things like that. For the microscope, uh, it'll be you know it'll be uh, it'll be a matter of getting used to it. Um, for CBCT, some of the limitations is if you don't really understand 
what you're looking at and the differences of imaging on a CBCT, how the tooth and surrounding structures appear compared to on a 2D X-ray and you apply 2D X-ray principles and concepts to the CBCT because the images are acquired much differently. You may see things on a CBCT that would be considered disease if you apply a, a lens of looking at it that, that you apply on a 2D uh, image. And again, I don't know if I make sense here, but what that means is that you can get into a lot of over-diagnosis and over-treatment or under-diagnosis and under-treatment if you don't really understand um, CBCT. And, and fortunate, at least fortunately in Ontario, uh, you know, you, you really need to have good uh, training in order to have a, a license to be able to own and operate a CBCT. So they make sure that that there's less of that issue uh, going on there. And uh, uh, for dynamic navigation, one of the limitation other than the learning curve is, you know, uh, is, is the accuracy of it, right? It's, it's very accurate. It isn't extremely accurate in terms of you know, point, you know, fractions of a millimeter, right? We're talking perhaps half a millimeter error range, more or less, and it'll get better and better. And so you have to understand that you can just plug everything into the system, go down, start drilling, you know, by looking at the screen without really going back to, you know, the, the core principles. And then, you know, you could easily miss the canal or perforate, especially in calcified canals. So with all, with everything, there's going to be some limitations uh, with technology with everything, if the clinician understands this, then you can navigate around it uh, quite nicely. So it's basically the effort that you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Absolutely. Right? So, okay, where do you think the what, what do you think the future holds for endo as a specialty? Right, you have a lot of spillover in terms of you know GPs starting to adopt endo and this kind of tech that you're talking about, like the microscopes, the in-house microscopes, the CBCTs. You're having more and more GPs sort of take on the role of doing more and more endo in-house. Do you see endo still like, being on its own standalone specialty completely? Do you see it being integrated more in a GP setting? How does it work with you know dental corporations, especially? Um, just your thoughts on that? Yeah. So other than what I already just discussed in terms of going back to core principles of dentin conservation and restorative management, um, like everything else, general dentists will always be uh, the uh, the group that will do most of the root canal treatments, uh, you know, in a certain population, just because there's much more general dentists than, than the nonists. And so obviously technology, if it can uh, uh target general dentists, it will. And, and most technology end up, uh, you know, being used uh, by general dentists uh, much more. We saw that in prosthodontics where, like you discussed, you, you know, uh, milling, crown milling, scanning, all, you know, CBCTs, implant placement, it's it's become, becoming more and more available to general uh, uh, clinicians and, and, and it makes treatments more predictable and, and, and better uh, in most cases. For endo, there's a lot of diagnosis that still will be involved, you know, diagnosis of, you know, disease and, and symptoms. And, 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 and it's not that, you know, it's, you can't all that much apply a, a, 
a cookbook recipe to, to all of this. So there's still some knowledge involved and we still work a, a bit more in the dark, right? Uh, we still need, you know, to, 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 to know tooth anatomy and, and rely a bit on, on experience. And then you get into more complex treatments such as retreatments and, uh, you know, apical surgeries and auto transplantations and things like that. But for your normal day-to-day uh, -day initial root canal treatment, on a tooth that you know is not all that calcified, there's no reason why with the uh, with the emerging technology even more that general dentists uh, uh, cannot do do them right. Uh, if you have some kind of magnification, you know at least a good a good loops, and if you have access to a CBCT and understand the technology and add to that dynamic navigation, perhaps um, there's no reason why it cannot be uh, uh, accessible to general dentists, but on top of that, um, as we, you know, continue to understand better, you know, more and more the factors that are involved with enhancing patient-centered out outcome, um, I mentioned immediate restoration, dentin conservation. Uh, in terms of technology, new things that will start to emerge will be the integration of artificial intelligence into diagnosis and treatment. Uh, you know, for example, there's already artificial intelligence out there that can help in diagnosis disease and abnormality on different imaging modalities, such as a panoramic or a 2D x-ray. Uh, but soon AI will also be able to segment data from CT scans, and that will lead to the production of 3D models in, in just a few minutes. And so, you know, compared to a labor-intensive manual segmentation that we could do with different software here. But here's the cool things. These 3D models will be able to be viewed in, in 3D preoperatively by the clinician uh, to help with planning the procedure. For example, you could, you could use a, head, a headset like HoloLens or, or uh, Oculus or something like that to view the, the tooth in three dimension, the impacted molar in three dimension and the surrounding structures in augmented reality. And that will help the clinician pre-plan uh, you know, be, be more uh, knowledgeable about what, what you're getting into with the case. But even further than that, in my field in Endo, actually, I'm already been involved in developing a head-up display that attaches to my microscope. So, for example, I'll be able, just like, you, you know, you have a head-up display in your car, um, I'll be able to view data in my field of view. So I'm testing that right now. And so it could be, you know, the visual feedback from the dyna dynamic navigation. It could be uh, an imaging of interest from a CT scan. It could be the apex locator reading that I see in my field of view. Anything that I don't have to move away my, my you know, my eyes from the microscope. And so, uh, you know, this will obviously enhance ergonomics, um, but also perhaps precision and accuracy. And so we'll soon be able to, uh, to overlay a 3D model, a digital 3D model, virtually on top of the real tooth to see the canals superimposed so we can pinpoint them. And so couple that with very cool, um, you know, a new technology, uh, you know, the goal here is obviously to be minimally invasive and more accurate, but without really uh, compromising disinfection. So other technologies we can't put aside is the disinfection technologies. So uh, for example, the gentle wave multisonic irrigation uh, that sends, you know, really, really high uh, uh, wave of energy in the canals to really clean things. 
Um, my mentor, Dr. Anil Kishan from the University of Toronto has been working on new nanoparticle technology that allows for safe and enhanced disinfection and promoting wound healing. So really new things that are coming out there almost feels like sci-fi stuff, but That's it's, what I was gonna it's, say. it's coming <laughs> together really nicely and it's going to be out there quite soon. That sounds nuts. So you're saying that in the near future, we could be wearing a headset that just augments and we're just able to superimpose an image over the tooth and just see where we're working. Absolutely, yes. That'll be more for oral surgery, implant placement. Uh, obviously, if you can integrate magnification into these headsets, that, that that's even better. But for endo, because we already use a microscope, the headset will be kind of out of the way a little bit. So now we can integrate the augmented reality within the microscope. Yeah. And so I'm working right now on this um, and, and we're, we're testing prototypes. And so uh, that, that, that will soon be available. That's you, you can unreal. See that, yeah, you can really see that application like everywhere in every specialty in dentistry. And I honestly think, dude, Vlad is, Vlad is getting so excited. I, I think I think you I'm might so, go into endo after this. <laughs> no, honestly, because think about it. Like, like, not only are you a specialist in dentistry, right? You're also on the forefront of such crazy innovation. Like you're doing the testing for this kind of stuff. Like that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's you know it's time consuming and and having a, a couple of young kids and uh, building a new office and all of this, but it's a passion of mine, and and I'm trying to surround myself with really really bright people um, and bright minds and, and innovative uh, innovative companies, and so uh, yeah, no, uh, it's been out there actually in the medical field for neurosurgery and and uh, and, and and specialties like that cardiac surgeries. But those systems are so expensive and obviously you work in hospitals and they can't afford those systems. But uh, for private practice dental, uh, you know, you have to make these more affordable, these more ergonomics. And, and you, so you don't want to have too much pushbacks from from future users. So uh, that that's kind of what uh, we're working on now. And, and it's, it's quite exciting. That's really cool. I think that's a really important point because people, when they think about specializing in dentistry, they think of like just getting away from general dentistry and doing one specific procedure right but I, I think you're making a good point here by essentially highlighting the fact that as a specialist like you're very much valued by a lot of the new tech that's coming up right like your opinion is valued and like people like yourself dr Ndo, like, like you could just get involved and be at the forefront of this kind of stuff so that's pretty sweet uh, i honestly i've never thought of that before and i don't know what do you think christian um, technology development, not necessarily research and uh, research in terms of how uh, how to increase treatment success and and being at the forefront of research. I, I feel like specialists are, are are the best people to be doing that because they know everything about uh, all the different aspects of their specialty. So they're the first person you would go to if you wanted to research to do. Um, to get the answers. But in terms of technology, I didn't really consider it. And obviously you see the application, every specialty, but it's cool how they overlap like a lot of the time with artificial intelligence or the microscopes and so on. Yeah. So. I just, I didn't think it was that common, but it makes so much sense that, you know, like the, the new grads and specialties, those, those are the ones that are going to be kind of pushing for that innovation. That's pretty sweet. Exactly. Yes. Uh, the newer generation will be much more open to, to these new technology and will integrate them much better. You still obviously need the clinical knowledge. How does that integrate into the practice? And in the end, 
you know, in the end, most technology uh, target general dentists because that's a big market. And so in the end, you have a lot of tons of general dentists that are also involved in uh, in uh, technology development and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely exciting for me. Every day I look into tiny, tiny, small holes, which I call root canals. So it can be boring. Uh, but uh, doing this on the side also uh, keeps uh, keeps things uh, definitely very interesting. Um, let's... Um... Let's switch gears a bit. So we talked a lot about the innovation, but um, Bobby, you're very active on social media, um, like Instagram and Facebook. So do you want to maybe talk about that as a specialist? Like how has that benefited you? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that that's a very good point. Um, I think social media platforms are extremely valuable uh, in the dental field. Uh, first, you know, you get to share some of your own cases. And so what that did for me is that pushed me to document my cases as best as I could in terms of taking really good radiographs and taking mostly really good uh, intraoral pictures. And so this uh, documentation is important too because I can go back and evaluate my work and replay the case in my head and see, okay, what did I do here? How did I manage that margin? Why did I have such a hard time? Uh, you know, how, how my access, oh, look, my access was not extended enough on that part there. Let's go back. So doing, you know, if you want to put good, good, good uh, uh, material on, on Instagram, for example, you have to take good pictures and to take good pictures, you have to learn how to take good pictures and that forces you to do that. And, and then I, I have all these nice images. I can go back and replay the case in my head. So that has been one benefit. Uh, but also obviously sharing my own cases allows me to, 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 you know, to promote my work, uh, which is nice from a business point of view uh, as a new grad, you know, you want to, you know, showcase, you know, this is what I can do for 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 uh, for our patients, right? Um, but uh, more so, also allowed me to to get into um, educating, teaching, but also being educated as well. Uh, it promotes, you know, it promotes different debates online. Online, and it, it promotes sharing different ideas. Um, it allows me to put my work out there. And then I can get constructive criticisms so that I can improve, right? And so not only, you know, so here's here's what you can do. And so, you know, I, I can post a case and say, you know, in my practice, I do this. Perhaps, you know, general dentists, you know, could do that. And then I get another general dentist say, hey, you know what? That, you know, when I put a crown on this tooth, maybe it's better managed that way. And so there's a huge, huge education going on there. And it's like, you know, it's like a free C course basically online. And so I do encourage everyone to get on social media. You don't have to post at first. You can just learn from, you know, from other that are posting. But the best way to learn is to post, have an open mind, have a growth mindset and and get some criticisms and obviously always stay respectful and all that but you can learn a ton and that's the beauty on social medias right now mostly instagram uh facebook um you know there, there's a lot of videos on youtube as well so, so do you go back and review all of these like posts on instagram um and, and then see how you've improved or or, or like how, how have you grown from your first post to your last post you know like yeah so go over that's, that's interesting i um um, I started posting while I was still in residency. So I learned how to document through the microscope camera and all that stuff. Um, and then it's interesting. I can go back now. It's funny. If you go on my, my Instagram page, you'll see a, a green rubber dam. That was when I was in residency. 
Now you'll see a blue rubber dam. That's when I'm now uh, in private practice. You can see exactly when it shifted. Um, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you grow for sure. Um, you push your limits in terms of what kind of services you can provide and how efficient you get at, at providing them. Uh, and, and you push your limit in my field in terms of what can be done to, to save a very compromised tooth that would otherwise be extracted um, for our patients. So, um, you know, for me, mostly it's about uh, pushing limits in terms of restoring these uh, teeth that I, I just finished the endo on, you know, deep margin, broken down tooth, managing their bleeding gums and, and all that stuff. And so uh, uh, being able to go back and see the kind of cases that I'm tackling now, uh, which perhaps are a bit more complex than the ones that I was tackling a year or two ago. So it's almost like a self-reflection kind of thing, but at the same absolutely. time, you, yeah. you put it out there and you connect so many people, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. That's we- what it is. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you'll help people by teaching them. But, you know, the best way they say to, to learn is to teach or at least to attempt to, che- to teach. So putting your cases out there, you know, being a bit, you know, being a bit vulnerable, not being scared uh, of posting even 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 failure cases or cases that you know you didn't you couldn't manage very well and you know next time you will because you know you'll get some feedback right so uh it's you know and the beauty is it's it doesn't take too much time to do and it's free right so it's it's that accessing of a lot to a lot of knowledge that you know years ago you'd have to try and find a textbook and and find you know a technique out there that you know meets uh, your, your, your clinical case. So it's, it's awesome that way. I also have like a, a, a huge respect for any, any dentist that post failed cases. Cause I feel like they're almost, um, I, I wouldn't say like, like risking a reputation, but they're, they're like admitting defeat. You know what I mean? And, and it, it, it's acknowledging, I, it's acknowledging growth and, and like development and, and everyone learns from it. So those are like the most important And you, you couldn't say it better. Um, that's, you know, the best way to learn is, is from failures, right? And a lot of the times, and most of the time, uh, almost all the time, at least in my field, we don't see our failures. I mean, the, the patient, you know, ends up having the tooth extracted by someone else and, and I don't even know about it, right? So, uh, so when I do see some failures, uh, you learn a lot. And that's when you ask questions, why did it fail? What could have been done differently? Uh, but, but again, you have to have an open mind. Uh, there's a way of wording things when you post a failure case, um, you know, you know, your knowledge, it failed and it's not, it's not about, you know, losing business. I think wh- whoever the referring dentist, at least for, for, en- for an endo specialty, I think they'll understand that, that, you know, you you know, not all cases failed, some of them will. And, and so you'll have to learn from it. And there's a way to word it so that we can gain um, knowledge, all of it and grow from it for sure. That's, that's, that's really interesting. And I never thought about it that, that whenever you're done with a patient, they might never come back. You might never see them again. You'll never know if something succeeded or failed. Um, how do you how do you tackle that? Because I feel like that's like 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 we said, it's extremely important to see how, how like the the outcome of what you did is. Yes. How do how do, how do how do endodontists uh, reflect on on cases if if they yes. don't see the outcome? That that is a huge huge um, concept. Some something to think about. I, I feel in some ways 
it's a blessing because perhaps some clinicians, you know, do the do the treatments, you know, and in your head it it's succeeding because you don't see the failures, right? And so you keep doing the same thing because you don't see any failures. And so it's 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 a huge issue in my field. Uh, you know, we rely on on data from from research, but a lot of research has its own limitation when it comes to clinical endodontics. You have to you have to to to, to have some observations of of your you know of your own treatment, what is working, what isn't, but you have to be very motivated to bring patient back. You have to take time off of your chair. Uh, that you're, you know, you're charging someone for a root canal to bring someone else for a recall, you know, a 15 minute there that you're not going to charge them. It's going to take time. You have to set the the room up. And and so you're, you're losing, you know, in a way you're losing a bit of revenue for you to bring patient back so you can learn from your, from your treatment. And that's, a, that's a limitation. Another limitation, a lot of patients don't, don't come back. Right. So, uh, you know, if you have a, a low percentage of your cases, that even if the patient is still around in, in the same town as you, they just you don't really want to come back to see you. They don't need to, and so you're trying to gather some info, some data from 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 the kind of cases that you see a lot of patients come back from another tooth, so that you you make sure to make a note. So, oh, that four six that I did a root canal on five years ago, you know, let's take a, a free X-ray and see if it's still there, see how, how good it's doing. And so that's a huge issue here. We need as endodontists to make more time to recall our patients and learn to see whatever techniques and approaches that you're using, is it working? Because if it, because if it isn't, then you need to change something. I mean, I'm only two years out. And so, you know, everything works for a year or two. So all my cases right now, you know, I'm hoping they're succeeding, but I need to bring those patients back, you know, continuously. And hopefully I can, in 10 years, I can see that what I'm doing now has been working. Because if I'm going to compete against dental implants, then I need to shoot for a 10-year longevity outcome, of, if not more, right, to reach our patient uh, expectations. So you need to make room. You have to have a recall programs. And if you don't, then claiming successes of your treatment, uh, maybe it, it perhaps is, is, is not appropriate. I wonder, I wonder if telehealth is a solution to kind of bridge that gap, right? Because you guys are very busy. So stacking your schedule and having the recall, like you said, you know, might be an inconvenience for the patients. It's likely an inconvenience for you. Right. But it seems like such a necessity. I wonder, have you, have you had any experience with telehealth and, uh, and dentistry so far? Or in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, if they're going to visit a GP, all the information would be on their EMR. Um, wouldn't you be able to pull that as a specialist and kind of consult there? That's, that's extremely interesting what you're bringing up, Vlad. Um, I've never really thought of it, but you know, obviously, you know, patients go back to their general dentist all the time after they see me, right? For for recall programs and hygiene yeah. and, and and whatnot. Uh, if there was a way to you know to, to to really make that standard that the general dentist you know has on his pro on his you know practice management software to take a PA of four six that the endodontist treated you know. Uh, you know, uh, two years ago, maybe take a, uh, you know, a, a yearly or, or every two year PA of it, just see if the tooth's still there, um, you know, and report back to the endodontist. At least that tells me that the tooth is still there, right? That's a exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, because if the tooth is gone, then obviously it failed. And, uh, but there's more to it than that. You want to find out the reason for failure, right? So if the tooth gets extracted, and that'd be nice for a general dentist to say, hey, who did the root canal for this tooth? 
oh, well, it's Dr. Nadeau in Kingston, Ontario. Um, if there's a way to report back to him the reason why that tooth is coming out, is it because of persistence of pain? Is it because it's fractured? Is it because of perio? Because if all my teeth end up fracturing at year five, year six after treatment, then who? Maybe, maybe I'm being too overzealous in my accesses or my instrumentation. So that tells me, it gives me a feedback to change. And so, yeah, actually, it'd be nice to have a way to have more intel about my treatments without bringing the patient back in my office. Although bringing the patient back in my office would be ideal uh, for yeah. follow-ups. Of course. Yeah, the, I'm just coming from from the perspective. I mean, just a good example of the Smile Direct Club, all right? Like they're disrupting like the orthodontic model, right? But, but not in the way that people think like there's still orthodontists employed by Smile Direct Club. They just work remotely and part of a requirement and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. I, I think that now to get Smile Direct Club, you actually have to have a GP that uh, is either partner with Smile Direct Club or kind of supervises your treatment. And they just report back to the orthodontist and the orthodontist does the planning and then everything is executed digitally. So I was just thinking, you know, obviously you still would benefit from having the patient come in uh, to the endo office, right? But I'm sure a system like that could hold some ground. Uh, just kind of interested to see where all this tech end up ends up going because I feel like every episode, Chris and I and our co-host, Shuri, who's not here today, we learn about some new piece of tech, but at some point it's all going to integrate it in some way. Right. So. Absolutely. That, yeah. That's very interesting. And, and, and the, uh, the software program I use for my practice management and, and, you know, taking my clinical notes and booking patients and referring, it's all digital. There's no more paper, nothing, even the referring process, the report process, the filling the medical history process. And so, I mean, it, it, you know, I'm sure it could be, there could be just, you know, through the cloud, you, you can have a simple link, you know, to, to report back to the endodontist through that, you know, you know, software uh, to say, you know, yeah, the tooth's still there. Everything's good. Good to go. See you in a year. Right. Or in yeah, five exactly. years, the tooth has been extracted because of a vertical root fracture, you know, send a, you know, you know, whatever, an x-ray with it. It'd be awesome. That could increase the uh, percentage of people getting follow-ups. And, and I need this as an endodontist. I need to know if my treatment works, right? And so exactly. um, th that'd be awesome if something like that could be integrated. Bunch of ideas out there. Anyways, yeah. we're getting close to uh, we're getting close to the hour mark. So uh, Bobby, I'm just gonna ask you a quick closing question. If you were to give one suggestion to dental students, new grads, um, what would it be? Oh, I, we already talked about it. Have an open mind, have a growth uh, mindset. Be open to different ideas, challenge different ideas, um, and and grow from it. And keep keep yourself informed. L you know, look look outside the little bubble of dentistry, and there's a lot to learn in different fields, such as as medicine and overdiagnosis. There's, I could go on and on and on, but reach out to outside your bubble. There's a lot to learn, and keep an open mindset. Chris, any closing remarks? Nope. I got all the questions okay. I need. Thanks for the talk. I uh, appreciate you having us on the, or, like, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast and, uh, and thank you again. Oh, that's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Vlad and Chris. What you guys are doing is awesome. Um, uh, keep on the, the, the good work and uh, I look forward to uh, listening to, to more episodes. Great. So Dr. Ndo, can, uh, do you have any social media you'd like to plug? Yes, yeah, so at nado.endo is uh, my Instagram, and uh, I suggest you start with Instagram. I think it's the best platform to learn uh, for endo, and um, and uh, uh, let's start from there. Sweet. 
All right. Well, this has been the business of drilling. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, check out Debbie Academy on Facebook. Uh, we have a group. We talk about these kind of things all the time. Find us on Instagram as well, Debbie.academy. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.